0: I'm Caleb Zakrin, the assistant editor of the New Books Network, and you're listening to New Books in Politics. Today I'm speaking with Andrew Bacevich about his new book, co-edited with Daniel A. Shurson, Paths of Dissent, Soldiers Speak Out Against America's Misguided Wars, which was published by Metropolitan Books, and features essays from veterans of America's wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. In the essays, veterans define what it means to dissent from America's forever wars, and the toll inflicted on people abroad and in our military. Andrew Basevich is himself a military veteran, having served in the U.S. Army for 23 years. He is Professor Emeritus of History and International Relations at Boston University, in addition to serving as the president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. Andrew, thank you for joining me today on the New Books Network.
1: Oh, thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Of course.
0: It. This is a, was a really fantastic book. I enjoyed reading it, and I think, you know... People should should really check out these essays because they're very eye-opening. Um, and before getting into the book, the first thing I'd like to ask you is if you could just tell us a little, a little bit about your background and how it is that you came to put this book together. As, as
1: you mentioned, uh, I'm a veteran. Uh, more specifically, I graduated from West Point long ago, <laughs> back in 1969, served in Vietnam, stayed in the Army for 20 years, and then uh became an academic. So I taught at University at Boston University for uh, quite a while and began to write books. It was during really that period of time that I began to think critically about uh, America's chosen role in the world and about what I consider to be our radical misuse of military power and that became the focus of my own uh, writing. A Couple of years ago, Danny Sherson and I, Danny's much younger than I am. He is a veteran of Iraq and of Afghanistan and a published author. Uh, I think we met over a beer one night at, at some bar and, and hatched this notion of putting together an anthology which we would invite a wide variety of veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan to reflect on what their military service meant to them. Uh, And the book that we're talking about is the result of that initial uh, agreement between the two of us.
0: Is this uh, book, you know, in any way for you? Uh, reflective of the work that you do with Quincy? How does this book and the contents in it relate to the more activist oriented work that you do today? So the
1: Quincy Institute is a small uh, and, and quite new recently founded think tank in Washington. And our purpose is specifically to try to promote the principle of restraint as a foundation for U.S. policy. And and we believe that the United States had, has misused military power, particularly since 9-11, particularly since the wars that the contributors to this book uh, participated in. So there's certainly an overlap uh, between uh, the role I play in Quincy uh, and the, the contents of this of this volume, but the, I think what, what, what's different is that the the purpose of the book is really to provide these veterans with an opportunity to reflect on what their military service and their participation in war has meant to them. You know, n- none of them are generals, none of them are admirals they are younger people uh, and therefore their encounter with war is, was, has been uh, immediate. And we wanted the book to give them a chance to, to reflect on, on on what that all meant to them.
0: So the book is titled Paths of Descent. And I wanted to ask you, you know, for, for you personally, what does dissent mean? And based on, you know, the the essays in the book from the other veterans, uh, if there's a sort of coherent idea of dissent that you all share, or if there's different notions, different understandings of dissent that the different contributors brought to the book?
1: I think that's a good question, but I think the simple answer is no. Uh, There's no doubt that Danny and I wanted to... Recruit contributors who's, who had something critical to say about war. Uh, were, were, were not necessarily as that they had become pacifists, certainly not not that they had become anti-American as a result of their war, but that they had come away from their military experience with uh with critical things to say. Uh, there's a lot of cheerleading when it comes to war. Certainly, there was a lot of cheerleading in the wake of of 9-11. None of the contributors to to this book are cheerleaders when it comes to war. That said, we did not intend, uh, nor did we end up with uh, a single theme. Uh, I think we've got 15 essays in in the book. There's 15 different voices from people who had 15 different experiences. And it's true, I think, that some of the contributors came away from their own personal experiences uh, having become anti-war, period. Others came away critical of very specific wars. Uh, You know, this one, but not that one. Uh, and and I think, from my own point of view, as a co-editor, I think one of the virtues of the collection is that we're we're not all singing one song here. Uh, that there are a variety of views about what it means to serve in war, and that taken collectively, those views are really worth thinking about. I mean, w- worth. Having our fellow citizens think about most of us don't serve, most of us don't go to war, uh, but these young Americans did, uh, and I think our conviction—that is to say, Danny's conviction, my conviction—is that they've got something to say and they ought to be heard.
0: The book is dedicated to the memory of Major Ian Fishback and. In your introductory essay, you discuss this man, and I was wondering if you could just tell the audience a little bit about him and why you chose to dedicate the book to him. So
1: I've I had I never met I never met Ian Fishback who is deceased recently deceased, and he uh, he created a stir. Uh, early on in the global war on terror, as an active duty officer by informing his members of his chain of command of, of abuses that were being uh, done by American soldiers. And the chain of command blew him off. Uh, and Ian, who clearly, again, I never met him, but who clearly was a highly principled individual, refused to be blown off. He, he took his concern to uh, the media. He took his concern to uh, politicians to include uh, John McCain, senator of Arizona. And, and when he went public, uh, of course, this, his charges gained a lot of publicity. Briefly, he was, Ian became a famous guy. That said, whether or not it was due to his own participation in war or whether he was haunted by other things, uh, he had a, ended up having a very, very difficult life. Uh, I had asked him to contribute a, an essay. Uh, he wrote something. For reasons that I discussed briefly in the book, don't need to go in here today, it, it was not publishable. And uh, I told him that in an email. I never heard back. Uh, and then subsequently he died. And I, I know, when, you know, he had been undergoing psychiatric treatment. Uh, He had significant troubles. I suppose we would say it was PTSD, but I'm not a doctor, so how do I know? Clearly, he was a man of great integrity who spoke up when speaking up was much in need and who suffered severe consequences as a result of that. So, Danny and I thought that, you know, this is an exemplary American soldier. Uh, And it was for that reason that even though he was not able to contribute to the book, we thought it
0: was appropriate for us to dedicate
1: the book in his memory.
0: So there's somewhere between, I don't know the exact number, 10 to 15 essays in this book. Um, I was curious how you came into contact with some of these veterans and how you asked them to contribute or how you came, how some of the uh, particular essays came about, the maybe individual stories of them. So
1: I had 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 made contact. I had come to know uh, some of these people. Uh, Danny had come to know some of these people. There were others that uh, we didn't know but you know kind of casting out lines uh, telling people well, this is what our plan is we're trying to put a book together do you have any thoughts on who might be a, a good contributor that ended up giving up, up us a pool of contributors. now, now to, to tell you the truth, and I think this is probably the way it is with all projects like this one, you know if you if you if you've recruited 20 people to write essays, guess what? all 20 don't come through. <laughs> You know, some some do, some don't. Some of the ones that do, you know, take take some effort, uh, some editorial effort. Uh, that's what editors are supposed to do. Danny and I are the co-editors. Uh, so it was a it was a bit of a it was a bit of a struggle, I guess, to to put the book together. I, you know, I'm I'm obviously biased here, but I think what the essays that we ended up with are first rate. Uh, and to go back to a point we've already made, I'm especially proud of the fact that they don't all say the same thing. Uh, that there's there's a variety of perspective here, and it's that variety of perspective I think that think that makes make the, makes this a book that you can learn from. Uh, that's what we, that's what Danny and I hope anyway.
0: Were there any essays that when you received them, um, you know, they had either maybe a poetic way of saying something that you felt expressed a feeling that you had had before, or maybe said something that sort of shocked you or stopped you in your tracks?
1: Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, there, there, there are some personal testimonials in the book of, of suffering, physical, uh, psychological, of anguish. Uh, and they make painful reading. I don't think when we, when Danny and I went into this, we expected to have that be a result. But, but it ended up being a result. Uh, none of these people are unscathed by their experiences. So, some of them, I think, are, um, are, are pretty badly damaged. Uh, and that's something that we all, all, all of us need to confront because damaged human beings is, is really one of the consequences of war. Even, you know, set aside death, set aside physical wounds, that there are, there are psychological damage that comes from involvement in uh, combat. I don't pretend to be an expert in that, but it seems to me manifestly true. And just because we live in an era of high-tech war, uh, doesn't, doesn't diminish that reality. And I think that one of the themes that comes out of the book is, is that, and that there are aspects of the experience of combat that are basically unchanged from what they were 100 years ago, uh, despite all the, the high-tech weaponry that is on the battlefield now.
0: You you mentioned at the beginning of the interview that you know American military policy or American wars have gotten especially, you know, brutal or wrongheaded since nine eleven. Um what do you see as as some of the principal causes or or factors leading to a shift or just leading to, you know, these wars that we're seemingly can never get out of or just are stuck in?
1: Oh, I think hubris. Uh, <clears throat> I think that that's a quality that the architects of the Afghanistan and Iraq wars certainly shared. The architects themselves had virtually no firsthand experience in war, but they thought they had war figured out. They they thought that the United States that the armed forces of the United States had mastered war. They they reached that conclusion, for example, based on the outcome of the uh, Persian Gulf War of 1991 and some smaller skirmishes in the Balkans and elsewhere. So they entered into the so-called global war on terrorism with expectations That, As one observer put it, this was going to be a cakewalk, uh, that we were going to win. We were going to win easily and decisively, and we were going to pay a minimal cost. And that just turned out to be a a massive uh, error of judgment that, of course, the architects of the wars basically did not pay for. Uh, Rather, it was the young people that we sent to Iraq and Afghanistan who ended up paying the price.
0: This is a, you know, sort of a, a two-part question, but one is, you know, for, for those people like myself who have not participated in the military in any way, um, you know, what, what do you want people like me to take away from this book? And then also, you know, do you have hopes for, for veterans or for currently enlisted soldiers that they might find the courage to dissent or that they might, you know, feel, that feel like they aren't alone if they are having questions about what they might be doing or engaged in.
1: Well, you know, I don't think Danny and I were trying to subvert good order and discipline uh, in the armed forces. We're not. We're not trying to get everybody in uniform to stand up and say, "Hell no, uh, I won't go." Uh, I, I, as an American citizen of a democracy, I do believe that those who serve. Uh, should be well informed becoming a soldier doesn 't mean that you forfeit uh, your rights. Uh, we want our soldiers to be well informed just as much as we want you to be well informed uh, you know what 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 should a young person such as yourself take away from all this yeah you know i, I guess I guess I hope that the non participants uh, come to appreciate how irresponsible it is to take the country to war for any reason that is less than absolutely essential to our own well-being. Now, supporters of the Iraq, for example, the invasion of Iraq in 2003, they were making a case that we had to invade Iraq because supposedly Saddam Hussein was developing weapons of mass destruction, it would be a horrible thing to if he did. Of course, that was not true. And indeed, at the time, there were many observers, informed observers, who said it was not true that Saddam Hussein was developing weapons of mass destruction. The George W. Bush administration decided to invade anyway. It's my conviction that the motivation for their invasion was not, had nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction. It had to do with a grandiose uh, vision of how to remake the entire greater Middle East, to you know get rid of dictatorships, spread democracy, peace and harmony. And again, they thought that that grand ambition was feasible because they believed we had mastered the art of war. So I guess I would want younger people, older people, all Americans to to reflect on how wrong that expectation was, how reckless, and by reading books like this one, and there are others, to, to come to an appreciation of the awful consequences suffered by those who we send to, to serve, to participate in these wars. Um, I think if we could, if we could get readers to do that, we would have accomplished a lot.
0: You know, I, I think that's something, you know, that, that really stuck out from these essays, you know, just, there is one essay in particular, as it titled, As American As It Gets, by Eric Edstrom, or just some of the, some of the descriptions of, of his experiences on the battlefield are just absolutely shocking and, you know, frightening to read. And, you know, the way that he just describes his experience, I, I think that like, you know, it's, th- there's a difficulty sometimes where, you know, because, you know, percentage wise, so few people really in America really end up seeing Battlefield, there isn't this real knowledge of like what the experience is like and the experience that people get, or, or that a lot of people learn about war is either through, you know, secondhand sort of stories that, you know, who knows, or from, from the media. And, you know, to what extent do you think that, you know, the media uh, and uh, maybe video games or other things contribute to, you know, maybe the glorification of war or the fact that we forget that there are real people involved in, in fighting. Well, you just
1: said a lot there. <clears throat> uh, you know, I don't do video games. <clears throat> I, I don't. I don't go to all the movies that kind of spin off of uh, that world. You know, the world of comics and so on. <clears throat> I see the. I see the coming attractions, uh, and I have to think uh, that. Uh, they're they're ma- they're basically made for what M- males ages fourteen to twenty six. I think that's the demographic somewhere in there, right? Definitely. Right. And I have to think that probably they're very effective. Uh, that is to say, very if not very effective, they're very effective in selling movie tickets, but ver- very effective in in conveying a particular sense of what war is, uh, and that it's somehow it's. It's it's glamorous, it's it's quick. Uh, and that's a huge uh, misunderstanding. Uh, I don't know that any one book is gonna change that. There are many books, wonderful books, that go back as far as, uh, well, decades, uh, that offer a realistic understanding of war, what war really means we're We're adding our own voices to that honorable project uh, but I would say even if we're not going to make a decisive difference that nonetheless it is an honorable project and and you know i'm I'm frankly proud that I was able to participate in it.
0: You know in your years of being a dissenting voice. How do you experience the present moment and the current state of dissent? What is, you know, people are allowed to talk about or skepticism that people might have, how does it compare to, you know, the past couple decades or or even even longer, you know, going back to the Vietnam War?
1: Well, the Vietnam War is the interesting uh, case to compare with, I think, because of the level of dissent in the country at large, and the level of dissent within the military. Both the military that was in Vietnam and the military that was serving during Vietnam, but was, for example, in Germany or in Korea or back here in the United States. I think we've seen nothing that would compare to that uh, in intensity. Uh, And maybe that's appropriate you know, the, the scale of the Vietnam War, the level of violence was much greater than Iraq and Afghanistan. Iraq and Afghanistan were very long wars, but I think you know, you know, they, they, were, they were not big wars. If, if, if the big wars were, especially the two world wars, and then, you know, a step below, you get to Vietnam and Korea... Iraq and Afghanistan are actually sort of modest in terms of their size, in terms in terms of the of of the casualties, numbers of Americans dead, numbers of Americans wounded. I'm not trying to suggest they were trivial, uh, but but they they were on a lesser scale. On the other hand, I think as important chapters in our national history they probably were just as important as Vietnam and quite frankly, uh, perhaps even the world wars. Uh, I fear that they're, they're going to be categorized as something lesser. You know, you and I are speaking, uh, in the midst of the Ukraine war, uh, And I think one of the unfortunate effects of the Ukraine war is that it leads Americans to forget about Iraq and Afghanistan. The country, sadly, has already moved on. Uh, There ought to be intense reflection on those two wars, our wars, what they cost, why they failed, the implications of their failure uh, what what that what that should mean, for example, with regard to a military system that relies on volunteers to fight for what purports to be a democracy but but I don't see any of that kind of reflection going on. That's unfortunate, and I think again, in a very small way, I wouldn't want to overstate it. I think in a very small way, our book is trying to push back against that inclination to forget.
0: You know to sort of uh, to summarize, you know, two questions I wanted to ask you are one if there are any other books that you're working on anything else that any other projects um and also, you know, just generally, you know, about your work with Quincy and what your what you know, what what Quincy's goals are or if there's anything in particular even in this present moment that you want to direct people's attention towards?
1: Well, this is a challenging moment for Quincy. So we stand for restraint and I would emphasize we're not pacifists. You know, we're not anti-war. We're certainly not anti-American. We we think that it is in the interests of the American people for us to have a a different approach to policy, particularly when it comes to the use of military power. Uh, And the Ukraine war, uh, and let me emphasize, a, a an awful episode attributed to criminal activity by Vladimir Putin, is kind of hijacking any debate. It's set, Ukraine has become the most important factor uh, in U.S. foreign policy. It, it, For example, a big thing for us at Quincy is the climate crisis. And I think there's no question that the Ukraine war has caused, has distracted attention from the climate crisis. Uh, And we're going to pay for that uh, in the long run or even in the not so long run. Uh, So it's a difficult time for us to make an argument that says, no, restraint ought to be a core principle that guides American diplomacy. On the other hand, you know, I'm very proud to be part of an undertaking that is making that, that argument. And we're going to stick to our principles. I almost said stick to our guns, but that's not what I mean. And we're going to stick to our principles and make our argument. And I think that, uh, that, that time will vindicate uh, restraint as, uh, as, a, as a core principle that we ought to
0: follow. And are there any other book projects that you're working on? Well,
1: <laughs> I hesitate to tell you. I've begun work on a novel. <laughs> oh, okay, great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: never, I've, I've never, I never have uh, delved into, I mean, I've never written fiction. And uh, I have persuaded myself at my advanced age that I should take a crack at writing a novel. So I've just begun work on a novel that is, uh, it's a military novel. It's about military people and it is post-Vietnam in what was then called West Germany. Uh, and I won't bore you with the, uh, with, with the plot, uh, but it's proving to be a, uh, a great challenge Uh, For me, at my advanced age of 75, we'll see if I actually follow through and get it done. I hope I can.
0: Or, you know, maybe uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but do you have any favorite military novels yourself that you would recommend? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Uh, James Salter, The Hunters. Very short novel uh, about fighter pilots in Korea. Salter himself, who by the way was a West Pointer, uh, served in the Air Force and flew fighter jets in Korea. It is a brilliant uh, piece of work. There's a forgotten novel by James Gould Cousins, C O Z Z E N S, called Guard of Honor, situated in wartime, Florida, World War II, but it's stateside, and it's a brilliant sort of reflection on what military life is all about by those who experience it. Not the officers, enlisted, spouses, the people who live downtown. It's got a, it's got a racial theme uh, that is very interesting. Uh, and I think we shouldn't forget uh, from here to eternity. James Jones, his great novel uh, about the army uh, at the outset of World War II, situated in in Hawaii, and of course made into a fabulous film. Uh, not long after it was
0: published, well, I'll have to check check those out. Uh, have you not really read any of them? I've not read any of them. Uh, I I think the, you know I've read All Quiet on the Western Front. Well, there. I mean, no, <laughs> and you see, I should have mentioned that. That
1: is a stunningly uh, brilliant piece of work. What I would say is start with James Salter and the Hunters. It's only like 180 pages long, Uh, but it is a masterful piece of work.
0: Well... When you add your name to the pantheon of uh, fiction writers, we hope to have you on someday. (laughs) Well, Andrew, thank you so much for being a guest of the New Books Network. It was great talking to you. The book is Paths of Descent. I highly recommend people check it out, even just to read an essay or two. It's really a fascinating read. Thank you.